Jimmy, Angel, listen, Eddie Talaferro just gave me a hot tip on a class filly in the 8th out at Holly Park. Only trouble is I need 20. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford File. I'm Nathan Pallotta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. For this episode, we're traveling to the the wild and woolly season five. Oh, yeah. Uh, Epi, which episode did you did you select for us to consider this time? Uh, okay, so this is episode 15 of season five, titled Guilt. Uh, and that title is important throughout this episode. <laughs> it, uh, it is a bit of a theme, perhaps. Yeah, theme, yes. <laughs> heavy-handed at that. Uh, my selection for this was, uh, it wasn't random, but it wasn't because I remembered the episode at all. Um I just wanted to get more uh, LJ because mm. as it turns out, LJ isn't really in it all that much. I don't know why I have a memory of LJ and not memory of Sully, who <laughs> probably has more speaking lines than uh, LJ. But anyways, I wanted to get more LJ. Uh, and so I just picked one of the two episodes left that we, <laughs> <laughs> that we haven't mm. seen. And, um, Turns out I enjoyed. The, I don't know how you feel about this. We actually haven't pre-discussed the episode at all, so no, uh, we're going to do it all live. Fresh, yeah. I I will say this is not my favorite episode. Oh, controversy! So we'll have a controversial mm-hmm. conversation. Um, mostly not due to any particular flaw in the writing or anything like that, mm-hmm. but more what this episode is about is stuff that I did not enjoy watching. We'll and we'll so we'll get into that. Yeah. What about uh what about LJ is so interesting to you? So L, so LJ is the I mean his appearance is pretty brief. Uh yeah. so maybe we'll talk about it now since you're thinking about him. He's kind of the the friend, he's a friend of Rocky's. He's yeah. kind of a handyman, he's kind of a buddy who comes around. Uh we mainly see him when he's been asked to come over to look at something that Rocky doesn't want to pay someone to fix. Yes. Uh, or to play cards. So I, I think that's part of it. It's just that like LJ is part of the wider world that isn't wrapped up in the seedy side of things. Mm. Uh, he's uh, a plumber by trade. So that makes him one of Rocky's friends, right? Like if he were a con man or mm. a cop, he would be one of Jim's friends. But instead, he's <laughs> he has a useful trade. <laughs> and uh therefore one of rocky's friends and uh i don't know i, I this kind of gets into this um this zone of uh i wish there was a word for it uh, we talked recently about the word cozy as it relates to murder mysteries mm. a little bit like that's the thing that i recently discovered but i'm also discovering now that people are using the word cozy to relate to uh other forms of fiction in in games in particular and I think this kind of plays a little bit into that side where LJ is part of the Rockford world where Rockford is at rest. Mm-hmm. He's never involved with the mystery. Yes. And it's not that I need more of that. It's that I enjoy the amount of that that is there. Mm-hmm. And I honestly can't think of another character. I mean, Rocky ostensibly is, but he gets, keeps getting pulled in. Not mm-hmm. all the time, but like you know, uh, enough times. And I, mostly everyone else is, is somehow involved in the dangerous side of things. Yeah. Even like, even Sully, the bondsman, he's, he only comes up because 
Jim's been yeah. arrested and he's <laughs> right, exactly. needs bail. Yeah, that's a good point. So, so I guess I'm I'm craving that in the same way that you might crave like a condiment on on a sandwich, mm-hmm. where like you don't want the sandwich made out of that condiment. Horseradish, right? I like horseradish, but like I'm not gonna not gonna require a, a full full on uh, fake bacon, lettuce, and horseradish. Though maybe you should. <laughs> Probably my favorite thing about this episode is the. The family drama. Yes. This is a strong Rocky is is poking around and very involved in what Jim is working on. Uh, and and then LJ is kind of a... He gets to be a bit of a Greek chorus in his appearance where he just kind of mm-hmm. shows up and kind of casts some light on the fact that this drama is going on. Uh, gets us out of their heads a little bit in that moment. So yeah, I, I hear that. Yeah. But uh, blink and you'll miss him. Right. I know. Unfortunately. Uh, this episode is, uh, so as we said, season five, this is where they start to get a little, get a little weirder, get a little more experimental with a lot of the, yeah. the, the plots and also the titles. This episode is neither. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say it does not have much experimentalness to either the plot, uh, nor the title. And in that way, it feels a little bit like a throwback, uh, in yeah. context, um, of other season five episodes where Jim's dealing with Tom Selleck or, or pursuing, uh, down on their luck rock stars and stuff like that. Right. This is a Juanita Bartlett script, um, which I think we've had a string of recently. Uh, they're always, always appreciated. And all the stuff that I like in this, I feel like are, Bartlett kind of signature elements, the family drama, I think for the most part, um, the well-written female antagonist yeah. slash co-main character. She's kind of, I don't know if antagonist is actually the right, we'll talk about her role. It's, yeah. it's kind of interesting structurally. And uh, this is a William Ward directorial uh, jaunt. One of one of the many, many, many of his 28 Rockford Files appearances. We've seen him Many times before, we will see him again. He did a lot of the fourth and fifth season episodes, including a lot of the two-parters. I think the last episode of his that we talked about, though, was actually... It might actually have been Gear Jammers. Is that true? Oh, Oh, wow. So we probably haven't talked about him recently. (laughs) So he's done a lot, but like Sleight of Hand, Just Another Polish Wedding. Mm -hmm. Like, there's some standout stuff in here. But those are like from our much earlier uh, yeah. coverage. Yeah. The thing about him is there's not a lot about him online. <laughs> okay. The, the thing about him is that there's nothing about him. I just felt like we've talked about him before, but I guess not. Hmm. Yeah. He just did. He did a ton of TV. Anyway, William Ward, he directed this episode. It is yes. totally fine. It has an interesting, it has a good uh, uh, chase sequence at the end, which I'm sure we'll talk about. We don't, we don't have to uh, beat around the bush here. Cause I will, I will at least mention it in the montage. Well, let's go ahead and get to the montage. Then. Okay. I could tell you so much about this montage, but I'm just <laughs> going to tell you where it begins and where it ends because it begins with a gunshot and ends with a helicopter chase. And if <laughs> your butt is not stuck in that couch for the rest of this episode, I, I don't know what to do with you. There's an attempted murder. Someone's mm. life is a soap opera and someone's changing their name. So yeah, yes, I, I do like the line. How can you call attempt at murder in personal, Dennis? Mm. Uh, but just the, the, that wrapping feature there that just said, we're going to get this and we're going to get this. And I don't know. Just, let's just do it. Also, I'll mention it now so we can talk about it again later. Our answering oh, yes. machine message, which you heard at the beginning of our episode, uh, is from Angel. 
So he is, he's credited. He does not appear in this episode, unfortunately. But he leaves a message about a tip on a horse. Yes. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Hello, listeners. We really appreciate you being here. And we want to make sure that you know that you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash 200 a day. In addition to episode previews and access to the 200 a day Rockford Files file spreadsheet, our patrons get plus expenses, a bonus podcast where we talk about movies we're watching, books we're reading, and games we're playing. 200 a day will remain free to all for as long as we do it. But if you want to help support us and get access to the new Plus Expenses audio feed, you can become a patron for just $1 an episode. Each episode, we extend a special thanks to our gumshoe-level patrons. This time, we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he also sells our games at conventions east of the Mississippi. See where to find him at Jim Likes Games on Twitter. Shane Liebling, if you play games online, you know you should check out his free dice rolling app, Roll for Your Party, at rollforyour.party. Kevin Lovecraft. Hear him on the RPG Actual Play podcast, the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars, over at misdirectedmark.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, and Jay Aiden. And finally, big thanks to Victor DeSanto and our detective patrons. Check them out on Twitter. Eric Antenor, at Antenor. Brian Pereira, at Thermoware. Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88. And of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it. And check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. Uh, we get to the beginning of this episode with an establishing shot at a yacht club. We see a woman walking her German shepherd. Um, this is a woman named Val, Valerie. Uh, Valerie is um, you know, walking her dog, just you know, doing her thing. Turns to go up a stairwell. And a, a man appears at the top of the stairs with a gun. Oh, God. This is... A, my notes here are maybe the most heartbreaking notes I've ever written. Good doggo. And then, in all caps, no. Uh, I would be lying if I didn't say that this kind of immediately lost me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. he appears at the top of the stairs. He has a gun. Uh, she's scared. She's saying, please, no. And then he very obviously moves the gun it, it is off screen. It is not shown to us, but uh, he shoots her dog. Yes. And then his gun jams before he can shoot her. Mm-hmm. And then he looks concerned and runs away. Unfortunately, that is the last we see of uh, poor Sam. As, yes. As we learn later. <sighs> this does not predispose me to like this episode. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to like dwell on this very moment or whatever, but <laughs> nobody else does. No. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things that makes it stand out maybe from uh, stuff that's today that might have that exact same scene is that I felt like that was not an attempt to make him into the nastiest of bad guys. I felt like that was just the the workmanship of it's just so kind of horrible how it's like, oh, yeah, if he's going to kill her, he would get attacked by the dog. So that's what you would do and that's horrible there is kind of yeah there's like a verisimilitude to that decision made in that moment yeah he's a guy doing a job and this is the first part of the job it's just one of those things where yeah no violence against animals it's it's not my favorite yeah (laughs) and it's also not necessary like the plot point is she sees a guy he tries to kill her his gum jams and he runs away you don't need a dog in that scene. Right. The dog was not necessary. Um, but that is how our uh, episode begins. 
Uh, we then cut to Rocky and Jim coming back to Jim's trailer. Uh, they've obviously been put it in a full day, uh, painting Rocky's living room. And we do start off here with 100% pure, uncut family bickering. Yes. We start out, we get right to some good stuff. I will give us, give it that. Um, including the fact that Rocky complains that they don't make paint the way they used to. <laughs> And Jim's like, it would have taken two coats then to Rocky. Yes. <laughs> um, Rocky, uh, once they're in the trailer, Rocky goes to start the chili. They have this whole plan. They're going to call Coop and LJ and Dennis and invite them all, them all over for poker night. Rocky starts his chili now. It'll be ready just about seven o'clock. Do, do we know who Coop is? Have we met Coop? Uh, we have met Coop. Once on our show, he's okay. a season five character. He's the disbarred attorney. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Jim starts going to because Beth is gone because due to contract disputes, they couldn't keep Gretchen Corbett yeah. in the show. Yeah. So he's a secondary character that if you've been watching season five while it was broadcasting, you would have seen him a couple times by now. Yeah. But we haven't seen him in a long time. That Okay. Rocky's in charge of the chili. Jim goes to check his messages and we get... What is this? A follow-up to the answering machine message from from the beginning of the episode? Jimmy, it's the voice of prosperity. Don't go inviting him. Listen, Turkey, you didn't return my call. I told you I got this hot tip on that Holly Park Philly. Like I said, you can get us both 500 guaranteed. So call old Angel. I can make us rich. I don't know why I live for this, because I really shouldn't. It, like, every fiber <laughs> of my things. being. But, uh, yeah, so Angel has a hot tip on uh, um, on some ponies. Mm-hmm. That he, needs, he just needs just needs a little money from Jim. That's all. Just 20 bucks. And I think uh, by now we all know the rubric. 20 bucks is probably $100 nowadays, right? Like, he's not just asking for what you would pay for. Uh, like a movie nowadays. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm trying to put it in context here. <laughs> My favorite thing about this is Rocky's aside. Don't invite him. <laughs> yes. He cheats. <laughs> he cheats, Jim. <laughs> um, after that message plays, there is a, uh, another message. Jim, it's Val. I'm sorry to bother you, but I just don't know where to turn. Jim stops the message before it can complete playing. Yeah. Rocky uh, is immediately interested. He really perks up once uh, he hears the name Val on the answering machine. Um, we have a bit of business where Jim tra- keeps trying to redirect him from talking yes. about her, including threatening to come in and help him with the chili. And Rocky says <laughs> that he don't want no one in the kitchen with him while he's cooking, which I appreciate. Yes, I was thinking the same. I wrote that right down. As someone with a smallish kitchen myself. <laughs> It's just easier when there's, uh, even if someone's being helpful. Yeah. Rocky was thinking about Val just the other day because he was looking through some records that she gave him. He mentioned <laughs> he liked, you know, some artist and she just gave him a whole, the whole collection of his records. <laughs> As 20 years ago, Rocky starts going down memory lane in order to mm-hmm. inform us of some of the backstory that, uh, is going to inform the events of the episode. Um, so this is a woman that clearly Jim was in a relationship with. Um, they almost got married. There was a child involved. Little Nancy was only three and she sure loved Jim too. Um, and Jim finally cuts him off and doesn't want to keep going down uh, memory lane over a long time ago. The embers are stone cold now. Yes. But Rocky does want to know what she wanted. 
So uh, Jim does finally play their last of the message. Jim, I need you. Somebody shot Sam. I, I dug this scene. I like, um, I mean, obviously there's good chemistry between uh, James Gardner mm-hmm. and Noah Barry. Uh, they, they just, they do these family scenes so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just having them talk over each other. It's easy to have that be annoying to, mm-hmm. to an audience. And instead, like, uh, I'm, I'm in, I'm invested, <laughs> but it could be that I'm invested because I have, I'm, I have a bunch of notes sitting on my lap and I have to prepare for a podcast based <laughs> on this episode. I won't, I won't deny that, but like, nonetheless, it, it's clear that Jim knows stuff that Rocky doesn't know, that he doesn't want Rocky to know because mm-hmm. he's trying to protect Rocky's innocence in, in, in a certain way, right? Like in a way, but I don't know if he's trying to protect Rocky because Rocky knows, right? As we will see, there are some not really secrets, but there's some pretty some pretty rough stuff that ended up happening, yeah. and Rocky already knows about that. It all happened while he was there. I read it more as Jim just doesn't. He knows how Rocky is, yeah, and he knows that opening this door, all of a sudden Rocky's like, oh no, Val, I always liked her, yeah. I think he knows that it's going to go to where it goes kind of midway through the episode where they have a conversation about, you know, what could have been basically. Right. Right. Jim's the one who has to deal with the fact that he ended up not wanting to marry this woman. Right. And Rocky's like, why don't you just marry her? It would have been great. (laughs) He's like, Rocky, how many times do do we have to have this conversation? It's kind of he just doesn't want to keep having that conversation over and over. There's a a kind of a heartbreaking element of this because it's. It's clear that, well, maybe not clear, but like Rocky wants grandchildren, I think is part of what's happening in this conversation. Yeah, I think so. And I can't remember if it's this conversation or it's another one because they have quite a few about this where he's like, you know, you've brought me all sorts of enjoyment in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, but you haven't done this one thing yeah. that, you that you know, the, the biological imperative here. <laughs> I mean, and, and at the end of the day, Jim, Jim already has a complicated set of feelings about Val. Yeah. And having Rocky, you know, putting the screws to him. Yeah. Isn't making it any easier for him. Agreed. Well, we do not dither around. uh, Once we hear that she, you know, she's in need, we cut to uh, Mm -hmm. Val, Jim, uh, Dennis, and uh, a man who we soon learn is Eric, Val's son-in-law. Um, in, uh, in, in her house, kind of Dennis is taking her statement and he seems dubious that they'll really be able to find out anything. He, he takes her description and says that they'll try to run it down. And Jim is immediately giving him, this is where we, we have the moment from the preview montage where he says, uh, how could attempted murder not be personal? (laughs) And what are you going to do? Brown on brown, medium height, not much to go on. But Dennis in his way is like, I'm, I'm doing my job here, Jim. (laughs) What do you want from me? Yeah. She says that she she has some meeting coming up that she still wants to prepare for. She'll be better off at work than sitting around um, after this very disruptive kind of scary experience. Everyone else kind of leaves and it's just her and Jim. She thanks him for coming, says that he never lets her down. <laughs> they have a kiss that indicates that they, you know, have had a relationship before. Yes. It is not chaste. Yeah. He has a great line where she's like, You've never let me down. He's like, oh, I can think of a couple of times, which... It's referring to not marrying her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> he has let her down. Uh, 
he has another good line where he doesn't want to shake her faith in the system. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Dennis doesn't have a lot to go on. He's, they're probably not going to turn up much. So he'll go ahead and poke around himself. So here we have an out-of-character moment for Jim, right? It's an open case. <laughs> Nobody's asking him. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm in. I'm in. I'll do the work. So at this point, I'm like, okay, so Jim is volunteering to nose around in an open case. You know, first-time viewers of the show, maybe that doesn't mean anything, whatever. Uh, that just gets him going. But, like, long-time viewers of the show, okay, something's different about this woman or this case or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that feeds into the the theme that we will come back to again and again, which is Jim feeling like he has to do things for her because of right. this 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 uh, existential guilt that he has about how things went down, basically. Right? I think that's fair to say. I No, I agree. Yes. Uh, Val is played by Pat Crawley, um, who seems like, definitely seems like a, I'm sure I've seen her before, actress, mm-hmm. but I was not, she's not been on the Rockford Files uh, other than this, and I wasn't, she, she just has one of those faces. Um, but she's played, she was all over TV uh, at the time. And then I realized that maybe where I knew her from with a different hairstyle, but she was actually uh, in a Columbo episode, one of the early ones where she was the murder victim. Ah. And then Columbo goes on to uh, you know, determine what happened. And you'll be shocked to hear ends up solving the case. What? I know. Uh, but that's in uh, Death Lends a Hand, which is the one with the private security firm guy who was the killer. It's a good one. Recommended. Is that like the very first one? It's in the first season. Anyway. Uh, it's good. It's a good one. And this is I, I see more of her acting in this episode than we saw in, in that Columbo. Yeah. <laughs> I think she does a good job with this character. Yeah, it's um, like we haven't really gotten into it yet, but this character would have been easy to play her wrong, I feel. Yes. The way she's playing it right now uh, and all the way through to the end leaves it as kind of an innocent character, although we'll find out that she really isn't. (laughs) Uh, I think it's great that she's done that way rather than arch or um or or cruel yeah so she's she's kind of like a femme fatale but not the standard femme fatale mm-hmm. in this in this one uh I, and that's as far as i can go with anything that has to do with noir i apologize <laughs> um well jim says he's gonna take a look and then we come back to him heading up some steps and he kind of has a double take on a uh on a on a woman who's sitting outside in a convertible Inside, there's an argument in progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a, a beefy guy in a loud tie uh, who's Mr. Zakarian. He does not approve of the decor that his wife, who we learn is the woman sitting outside in the convertible, has has approved for their interior decorating. One of the things that, you know, this, this is one of those scenes that the Rockford Files does so well, which is bring us in in the middle of something, and then we learn everything we need to know about who and what and why just yeah. through the scene unfolding. So there's no like up top exposition. It's all in the scene. But this is so Val's business, she's an interior designer, interior decorator, um, studio of some kind. So that's what she does. And mm-hmm. this guy Zakarian uh is using her to decorate someplace and she's arguing with someone else, a second level design guy who we do not see again in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he looks like Gary Oldman. <laughs> I think 
<laughs> so I noted that, but it is not Gary Oldman. No. Even though Mrs. Zakarian approved all the furniture, uh, he wants to throw it all out, get rid of it, and uh, he is told that even if they throw it in the boxwoods, they're still going to have to pay for it. And then he threatens to sue if they insist on making him pay for something that he doesn't want to pay for. And this is when Val stops in, steps in. She tries to straighten it out and calm everyone down. Uh, no one wants to be calmed. Uh, uh, we get the, the threat of a lawsuit. And Jim has entered at some point during this and kind of seen this all unfold. Mm-hmm. And then comes up to, to Val's defense once they start directing their anger at her. She... She ends up introducing Jim. Like, oh, this is my friend Jim. He's a private yeah. eye. He's looking into into the guy who tried to kill me today or whatever. Yes. Which is very <laughs> frank. <laughs> this does not appear to change Zakarian's mind, and he storms out saying that his attorneys will be in touch. Uh yeah, there's he has this great moment when Jim butts in where he's like, Well, who asked you? And she's <laughs> like, I did. Uh I, I agree with you about this scene just kind of laying it all out. And there's stuff that happens here that uh, is going to be important to the mystery, but isn't quite obvious right now. I think. Yeah, it it had the feeling to me of this scene is more than just business. Mm-hmm. There's stuff here that matters. We'll see what happens with it later. You know, I did. I wasn't yeah. like obsessively looking for clues. I was kind of like, okay, this will be important at some point. And I think it actually took a. It takes a long time before before there's a payoff for this. Mm-hmm. But our next scene is at the police station um, <laughs> where Jim is trying to tell <laughs> Jim is telling Dennis how to do his job yes. in the way that Jim would do it. If it was Jim's job. Yes. But it is not two different concerns going on here. Jim has one job. Dennis has many jobs. <laughs> so Jim comes to him with what for Jim would be a really good lead, which is, Merely a hundred people to follow up on. You were complaining you didn't have anything to go on? Now you got something. The entire membership roster of the Brent Air Yacht Club? Hey, how about a little gratitude? You know what it took me to con the management out of that? There's like, there's almost 300 names on it. That's what it was, yes. And this is important because the car, the Peugeot, uh, which is also the kind of car that Colombo drives, I don't know. Not that model, uh, but a French car. Um, anyway, uh, uh, the car that the assailant drove away in was in the Yacht Club parking lot, which is key card access only to club members. So therefore, this lead yeah. is that this guy is either a member or uh, knows a member. There's almost 300 members on this roster, but uh, Val only recognized about 10% of them. So that's where... You should start. Right. And so Dennis then is going into, uh, you want me to, you want me to look at 300 people and all of their known associates, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> the, the, this is, seems very reasonable to Jim, not just because Jim has a vested interest in this case, but also because if Jim's investigating a case, it's the only case he's investigating. Right. And he's willing, as we know, because he's willing to do drudgery and paperwork. Yeah. He's willing to go through a list of 297 names and, you know, figure out who the most likely suspects are. But but Dennis, like, Dennis is a cop who has, probably has several cases to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, ostensibly, he also has more resources and can send other cops out to do it. But it's, it. I don't know. I, I just like that it would be very clear for Jim that this is the right way to go. And it would be right. very clear for Dennis that this is 
never going to happen. <laughs> well, and also that Jim's like, look, I've done you such a favor. Right. <laughs> yes. And is like, yeah, you gave me a bunch of work. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, towards the end of the scene, Dennis says that he recognizes the name Valerie Pointer. He recognizes it from somewhere. And Jim's like, oh, probably because of her well-known decorating business. Please stop asking about this. He's like, no, no, it's something that Rocky said. And then yes. Jim redirects with the whole spiel of like, well, here's how you can narrow down all the leads and, you know, yeah. who you should follow up on. And uh, again, so I thought that this was going to come up again, but uh, it does not. It is just a, I think, a moment to show us that Jim doesn't want to deal with another person poking into his personal history with this woman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The capper to this is... <laughs> Jim telling uh, Dennis that he's, I'll be waiting for your report. Like, yeah. <laughs> just, just a teeny little status play there. That's all that. Uh, we cut to a top-down shot of the big bowl of chili that uh, Rocky's yes. been working on. Looks like bean chili to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we cut back and Jim's the one stirring it and he starts adding in hot sauce because uh, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. have any bite. And Rocky's like, it will, like, stop messing with it. It'll have bite by 7 o'clock. But it turns out that uh, Coop can't come. He has work. Uh, Dennis, he's going to be busy with this case now. <laughs> and because Val's been so shook up by all this, Jim's going to take her to dinner. So it's just going to be Rocky and LJ. A game of checkers. Game of checkers. This is the uh, C-plot. How utterly impossible it is for adults to make a game night work. Ah. <laughs> I think that this is <laughs> identifiable drama for many of our listeners. Uh, where everyone has something else that they have to do last minute or or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. and you can plan all week, you can plan all day, you can get ready for it, and in the end, it might just be you and a friend playing checkers. Uh, Rocky starts off angry that he's done all this work. He's been slaving over the stove all yeah. day, which is hilarious because chili is not a dish that you need to slave over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but once Jim mentions that he's taking Val out to dinner, yes. then he's like, oh, okay, well then LJ's a good checker partner. We'll mm -hmm. have a good time. <laughs> there's a there's a knock on the door, and a, a young woman who gives her name as Jean Ludwig says that she needs to talk to Jim. This is just how she ended up dressed or whatever. But there's this little affectation where like her gloves are sitting on her shoulder, and they just yeah. ride on her shoulder the whole time, which I could not stop looking at. <laughs> it just, so, just seems so weird. Um, but, uh, she wants to hire Jim. Mm -hmm. How much do you charge? 200 a day plus expenses. Her story is that her and her sister recently moved to San Diego. Oh, is she missing? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, why would you say that? <laughs> yeah. I love that beat. Sorry, go on. Jim's like, this is, mo that's why most people come to me. Yeah. Uh, no, she's not missing. She is going to get married to some man who this woman, Jean, is suspicious of, thinks mm -hmm. he's an unsavory character and is just taking advantage of her sister for her money. They're moving very quickly and she wants to, it's a little vague, but like have him investigated, you know, see what Jim can turn up. And when he seems a little hesitant, she's like, I'll pay you $500 a day. Yes. That's double your rate. That's how important my sister is to me. There's a nice little uh, beat for the audience here. Where Jim, like, basically as soon as she says that she'll give him, like, she and she has a big roll of bills in her hand. She says she'll give him $500 a day. First, Rocky says, oh, he can't take a case. He's busy. Now, what about Val? You're already yeah. busy. You're fully booked. 
because uh, Rocky cares about Val. Yeah. And then Jim says, you know, oh, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't take this case. And it's so definitive. And, I, and I'm kind of like, that seems weird. Because it also does not seem like Jim would be like, oh, the only thing I can do right now is... Right. Is deal with Val because he's kind of equivocal about that, even though he is trying to help her. I, I mean, I was relieved because in my notes, it's finally Jim's got a case he can refuse in this episode. <laughs> so I was worried we weren't going to get that beat and we got it. I didn't really I didn't remember this re- episode at all. Mm. Uh, and I kind of assumed that, you know, this would be a he takes another case that is, quote, unrelated, but turns out it is related right, right? yeah yeah uh, but that's not that's not the beat the beat is he says no mm-hmm. and then she tries to insist and he's like no i'm sorry i just can't help you i can recommend someone and she's like no no i've already wasted enough time finding you yeah <laughs> so when she leaves he watches her out, out the window and she's in a very fancy uh little porsche sports car yeah rocky wants to know why you know why do you why does that matter and so jim says that $500 a day for an out-of-town job. I think someone's trying to get rid of me. Yeah. And I don't have her plate, and that's probably not her real name. So as an audience member, I'm like, oh, okay, that explains it. The little one-two got me, is what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, me too. I mean, like, I was happy that he got to refuse someone. I thought he was going to take the case uh, just to spite Rocky. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, once once he said, there's looked out the window... I don't even think he had to say anything. Once he watched her go out the window, I was like, oh, he's suspicious. I see. We have a brief pursuit sequence where he follows her as she peels out in the Porsche. Uh, she ends up heading up one of the one of those twisty California mountain roads. And Jim is uh, blocked behind a van that just drives in the middle of the road and won't <laughs> get over far enough for, for him to get around it. Once he finally does, she has... Uh, Put the pedal to the metal and disappeared up into the hills. He is unable to follow. In my notes, I yelled at Jim because that blind curve that he passed the van. I was just <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, Jim. It's going up a mountain. It's a hairpin turn. And he's just right on it. And he's like passing the van. And so from our our crane shot or our helicopter shot or whatever, where we're seeing it, we can see there's no traffic coming down the hill in his direction. So he's safe. But like from his point of view... Just a few feet away is that turn, and somebody could be peeling down that right. at any speed, and he would have no idea till yeah. Anyways, this is old Epi. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and buckle your seatbelt. Back in the trailer, uh, Rocky wants Jim to take some of the chili to Val, um, mm-hmm. you know, since it's it can all be frozen anyway, but he should take her some home-cooked chili. Um, uh, he pulls out these ice cream containers yes. to store the chili in which Jim does not approve of because even though sure they're designed to go in the freezer, the last time he froze some chili in one of those, there was a distinctive butter pecan aftertaste. Yes. Which I think is actually, would actually probably be nice from chili. <laughs> like a little sweet nuttiness at the yeah, end. A little something at the end. Yeah. But yeah. Jim is apparently very particular about his uh, not contaminating his chili with ice cream. Right. And then here, here we are, Epi. It finally happens. We see LJ. Mm-hmm. He gets a beer. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I mean, my notes here are just about the epic quest to try and make a game night work. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is the death of a game night. As as Rocky goes through how each person can't. Yeah, yeah. Make it. <laughs> There's a point in here where LJ agrees with one of the two of them, mm-hmm. and I can't remember who it is, but I remember thinking, wait, he doesn't 
know any of this situation <laughs> and he's already taking a side rocky explains to lj and thus to us to clarify about yeah. how uh jim and val almost got married 20 years ago mm-hmm. jim's the one who called it off uh she's been in some trouble so now he's taking taking her out to dinner jim says that uh, their reservations are at the cocked hat <laughs> it has the best ribs in town and the best cottage fries Yes. And then Rocky says, why are you going there? She's not going to like that. That's a place right. you like. Well, I asked her where she wanted to go. She picked the place. I didn't. Yeah, because it's one of your favorites. That's the way she is, you know. She's always thinking of the other fella, never of herself. Yeah. Whatever, you two. I drove all the way over here for a poker night. And now I'm going to eat some chili and play checkers with Rocky. Not too bad. Not too bad. And then we say goodbye to LJ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, LJ seemed... Cool with the fact that he drove over there and it was like... He's Rocky's friend, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm not surprised that he's cool with it. What I'm saying is that, like, it is the kind of... I've been LJ in this situation before. <laughs> like, sometimes the person that has come maybe even the longest distance who's shown up and it's like, oh, nobody else can make it. And you're like, ah, okay. Yeah, no, that happens. Well, like, I'm here now. Yep. Let's let's just make the... I got chili. I got beer. We got checkers. He ends up having a great night. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yes. As opposed to poor Jim. <laughs> uh, okay, so we go to the cocked hat where um, Val's trying to tell him to forget about the case. Let's just have a nice night. And here is, I mean, it is extremely telegraphed and obvious. Yeah. The text here is yeah. fighting over this food is the metaphor for their relationship. Yeah. How their interactions are, you know, were 20 years ago and are going to be as we go forward. Uh, so there's two tracks here. Uh, one is some more explanation of their past. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's pretty well crafted as, as exposition. I forget exactly how it all kind of comes out, but the, the essential points here is that we learn not only did, uh, not only did Jim decide that he didn't want to get married, and that was very traumatic. It was mm-hmm. apparently so traumatic that she tried to kill herself yes. at that time. And she doesn't blame him for that. Right. But that is what happened. And coming close to death again brought this back up for her. And she says that she never held Jim responsible. Yes. Which is very coded. <laughs> okay. So the first thing to do here is to remind our listeners that the title of this episode is Guilt. Right. My notes on this scene, like over and over again, say, Ugh, this is tough. Mm-hmm. This is a hard conversation. I think it's well done, partly because it is tough, but we can watch it. Mm-hmm. We're not turn, turning away. It's also kind of complex because that's coming out at the same time that Jim is making a realization about this decades-long relationship that Rocky just laid out for him moments right. ago. Just gave him the bullet point. Yeah. Yeah. Like Rocky's like, oh, she picked that because you want to go there. <laughs> and Jim tests out this theory. He's like, right. Yeah. You know, you pick this place just because I like it. And she doesn't deny that. She just says, are you trying to tell me you aren't salivating over those ribs? Right. Right. And it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, Rocky was right. <laughs> He's trying to make Rocky wrong, or or maybe he's trying to correct that, or he's trying to fix something here, mm-hmm. uh, which is great because that is, as we'll find out, like the entirety of their relationship, <laughs> at least since they broke up, is right. he's trying to fix what he feels guilty for. I don't think that this is subtle, but I think it's very well done. 
Yeah. It's not subtext. It is the text of yeah. what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was saying with the food play, yeah. which is the whole back and forth about the order. Jim has already realized that Val indeed just said this place to please him. The reservation isn't a contract. We can go somewhere else. Can I just say a reservation isn't a contract is not only like a great way to suggest it, but also probably a legal thing that Jim knows. (laughs) No, no, they can't sue us for leaving. (laughs) I've looked into this. Yeah. If you're not interested in the ribs, uh, the steak's good or the lobster. I'll have the dinner salad. I told you we didn't have to stay here. We could go someplace else. That's all I really want, honestly. Nothing for me. Jim. Two orders of ribs, two orders of cottage fries. I don't want you to eat something you don't want. You don't want me to eat something I do want. Dinner salad for the lady, ribs and fries for me. This exchange, I think, is the the heart of the matter here. Jim says, I don't want you to eat something you don't want. And Val says, you don't want me to eat something I do want. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, boy. Do you think Jim enjoyed that meal? (laughs) Not even a little bit. I think we can scientifically prove that he did not. We do not see them eat, of course. We cut Mm -hmm. right from there to Jim dropping her off uh, after the, the night and our next scene. Um this scene, though, this is the crux. I mean, we we see this reinforced by more stuff over the course of the episode, but this is the dynamic, yeah, encapsulated in this scene. And oh man, it feels. I think so. This is part of why I I wasn't really into this episode. Yeah, this dynamic is one that at times in my life I have lived in mm-hmm. and do not want to relive. <laughs> yes. And while I trust that everything comes out fine in the end because it's the Rockford Files, mm-hmm. uh, that emotional journey is not one that I want to be on. So now I'm just kind of like watching for the plot and waiting for it to be over. Would you characterize that as just about as far down memory lane you care to go? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, perhaps. And it's not even about like details. It's just it's yeah. more about like, oh, this this dynamic, this feeling yeah. of... There is no possible way for me to feel like I have actually satisfied you or I've actually made happiness happen or that I've Mm -hmm. actually answered, you know, the the way that will make this all okay. And the feeling of impossibility. Yes. uh, That is a very visceral feeling. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think um, in the plus expensive episode uh, that we recorded just before this, I mentioned that there are many personal stories I could tell that relate to this episode. Hmm. And I'm about to, in like a scene or two, uh, tell the one I'm comfortable telling. Okay. <laughs> uh, but the, these, I, I feel the same thing here. Like that this reminded me of very specific relationships I had, uh, that ended and, um, the dynamics of them. So I really, identified with what Jim was going through here Mm -hmm. in several ways. Uh, And I I mean, I will point out that like, I don't think that in those relationships, any of them uh, were exactly Val. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But there's that thing where a relationship has gone wrong. Somebody in that relationship has to say it's done. uh, And 
maybe they've done that wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a Jim is blameless in whatever mm. happened or what. Like the the guilt part is is the fact that he feels responsibility for Val for yes. something about her for her well being. Yeah, and I think it's given to us through the dialogue that probably the suicide attempt is the root of that but that's also a toxic power dynamic right yes now i have now made you responsible for my well-being but you have no control over my well-being right that's the dynamic that makes me shiver yes uh if if i watched this and i thought oh jim is blameless entirely in this relationship and therefore this is her putting this all on jim then uh, I would come away from this episode. I would not like this episode. <laughs> okay. But mm-hmm. I don't feel that in the in these scenes. Like, I feel that Jim's guilt is not unfounded. Mm-hmm. It's just really complicated. <laughs> because, uh, like, not not a guilt over how she reacted to it, but probably the situation probably wasn't good. Like, we get this painted picture from R- Rocky about all the good times and where he has her daughter dancing with him and, and like all of these. uh, So maybe, maybe he strung her along too long or maybe like, I don't even, there's no need to really go into what exactly he did wrong. We can see a part of it here Mm -hmm. in this meal where he had no idea going into it, that she was making it all about the stuff he wants. Mm -hmm. He was maybe just unobservant, inobservant. There's a word not observant enough to uh, uh, see what's going on. But anyways, I don't like, I didn't mean to deep dive into this scene at all, but I like, I like it <clears throat> for uh, its complexity, but also you look at the preview montage and you get a gunshot in a helicopter chase. <laughs> You're waiting for that helicopter chase. Yeah. You know, and then this episode has several gut punches throughout that aren't that, mm-hmm. yeah. which is not a complaint about it. I'm just like, there's an expectation uh, switch. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the last thing I want to say about, about this is that, um, and this kind of gets back to what I was saying in our intro about, it's kind of hard to describe the role that Val plays as a character. Yeah. Cause I, I said antagonist because she ends up having an antagonistic relationship. Um, but she's not the antagonist in terms of pushing action. She's not right. a villain. And I think the, the complexity of how she is written and her dialogue paints a portrait of, of, of someone who, you know, ha- has been through a lot of trauma. Yeah. And the way that she behaves in the world reflects that. Mm-hmm. But that also means that she is a hard person for me to empathize with. Yeah. Because it feels like she doesn't take responsibility for overcoming her trauma. She just has all these coping mechanisms that hurt other people. Yes. Yeah. I would not disagree with that. <laughs> That's all evinced in this conversation very well. But then also, I I have now sat back and am taking notes and waiting for the episode to be over. Yes. Because <laughs> I don't want to dwell with that character longer than I have to. I see. Yes. Agreed. Happy, I need a quick break. I'm going to grab a taco. You tell our wonderful listeners all the places that they can find you and your work on the information superhighway. I'll be right back. One way to find me is to go to twitter.com and search for at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. I'm usually responsive there. Otherwise, you can go to worldswithoutmaster.com where you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and role-playing games. And if you like role-playing games, 
maybe you want to check out digathousandholes.com where uh, I publish all my other role-playing games. Oh no, I dropped my calculator. Nathan, while I go pick up a spare, why don't you tell the good folks uh, where they can find you on the internet? In addition to this podcast, I also design and publish role-playing games, including the worldwide wrestling pro wrestling role-playing game, among many others. You can find links to all of my games and other projects at ndpdesign.com. And of course, you can find me on twitter.com at ndpaoletta. Looks like you're back. You you ready to continue the arithmetic analysis for this episode there, Epi? I'm back. I have my DM42 with me, and I'm ready to get in, dig down into Rockford's books again. Mm. All right, well, I'm done with this delicious avocado taco. Well, let's get back to the show then. As we said, uh, after this dinner, Jim is dropping her off at her place. And then we have an establishing shot of a guy in a stocking mask with a rifle (laughs) hiding behind a car. That was a nice night. When we're not fighting, we get along just fine. Yeah. She also has another key character line. Sometimes my life seems like such a soap opera. And that is cue for gunshot. Yes. A planter next to them explodes. We see Jim see the guy jump into his car and peel away. And then we have a brief freeze frame, which uh, is probably leading into a commercial of the two of them huddled down underneath the uh, railing. So we come back to cops on the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dennis is back. Um, he is complaining about all these essentially soft leads <laughs> that Jim keeps yeah. giving him. This Yacht Club membership, this Jean Ludwig person, if that's even her name. Jim, Jim has a little smirk <laughs> that he shows during this scene. And I, I don't know if that smirk is... Jim, or if it's James Gardner. (laughs) (laughs) Just being like, I was right, Dennis. Yeah, yeah. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. This assailant was not wearing a mask this afternoon, but Mm -hmm. was wearing a mask at night. That seems strange. Maybe that indicates that the person this afternoon knew that um, Val wouldn't be able to identify him. Um, And so maybe he's a contract killer? Question mark. Val can't think of anyone who hates her that much. So this whole time, there's been all these questions about, like, who would want to kill you? What has happened? Who, you know, and she's like, I don't have arguments with anyone. Nobody hates me. So this is my story. This is the one that I want to share. Okay. (laughs) This is a thing that happens all the time in TV cop shows and crime shows and stuff like that, where either somebody has been killed and you asked, uh, like, well, who would want them dead? Or there's been an attempt at murder, like in this case, and you're like, well, who wants you dead? And I have had a cop ask me that question. And I want to tell you, that is a scary question. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened was, I lived in New York for a while. And early one Monday morning, and by early, I mean, like, probably like 4 or 5 a.m., the window to my living room was shot. And I live on the the third floor. Uh, This is uh, in Brooklyn, New York, where you're kind of used to hearing loud noises from time to time in the middle of the night. But never a noise that loud. Like I sat bolt right up in bed, looked around, like figured out where I was and what was going on and then went back to sleep. Like a few hours later, there's this knocking at my bedroom door and it's my roommate. And she's like, Epi, Epi, I think we've been shot. And I come flying out of bed. Actually, what had happened was, is a bullet had hit this aluminum frame that went around our window. So the window didn't shatter or anything like that. Uh, but 
the blinds did and pieces of that aluminum frame were like all over the room. So I called the cops because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, uh, calling the cops, I called 311, not 911. Because <laughs> I guess it's a civil matter. <laughs> in my mind, that obviously happened hours ago. And so I don't, it's not an emergency. Right. So I call 311. And if you live in New York and you're, you're wondering, like, if you have trouble with your 911, I highly recommend calling 311. And asking them what to do because, and here's the hack, they will patch you through to 911. But 311, which is information where you call about reporting potholes and things like that, uh, is the mayor's office. So the cops, I find out, get get this 911 call from the mayor's office. (laughs) I had a cop, like, during all of this, ask me, like, who do you know at the mayor's office? Why are we here? (laughs) What are we doing here? Uh, Anyways, the point is... The cops didn't come right away. Uh, and while I was waiting for them, I kept, you know, you, you, you're doing this thing where you're like, we've been shot. I'm fine with it. Oh, wait a minute. Hold up. Maybe I'm not. Or whatever. <laughs> and you go back and forth. You turn on the TV to try and drown it out your voices in your head. Mm-hmm. So what had happened was, is I turn on Comedy Central and I hit mute. Uh, and it's roughly around that time that the cops came in and they were investigating the place. Uh, and it is not at all like, the competence porn that is on television. (laughs) And then, so there's this cop who asks me, do you know anyone who would want you dead? This is the first time in all of this that I actually like thought that question through. And that is a terrifying moment to think, is there someone out there who actually wants you dead? That's not a thing everyone has to deal with all the time. Not being Angel Martin. This is not something that you (laughs) frequently have to deal with. And up until that point, I had assumed that nobody wanted me dead. Now, my working theory of what actually happened was that somebody was drunk and just shot a bullet into the air. Because, like I said, I'm the third story, you know, uh, uh, they never solved this crime. But, okay, Comedy Central, I don't know what they're like nowadays. But at the time, they had all these, like, comedians on stage doing Mm -hmm. their thing. Part of the craft of filming those things involve taking uh, footage of the audience laughing. Right. It turns out that my high school girlfriend had attended that (laughs) show. Uh, She has a lovely laugh, so they clearly put the camera on her several times to show you that. So here's my TV on mute. Here's a cop who asks me, do you know of anyone who would want you dead? And I'm trying to think this through, and I look up at my TV and I see my high school girlfriend laughing her ass off. <laughs> Am I in a television show? Like, what is happening here? That's pretty good. But it turns out, no, she doesn't want That you know of. That I know of, yes. Uh, that is my one story connected to this that I'm willing to share. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. That's a good one. Well, similar to Epi, hmm. Val cannot think of anyone that hates her enough to try and kill her. And then the scene gets... Real good. Jim asks Dennis to leave a couple cops there overnight, just in case. And Dennis is like, yeah, sure, of course. And then Val starts coming over faint and asks mm-hmm. Jim to go get her a brandy, which is in a different room. While he's out of the room, she tells Dennis, you know what? I don't want you to leave your men here. Jim's going to stay. I'll be fine. And it makes me anxious to have people I don't know around. So, you know, please don't leave your men here. And Dennis is like, you know, whatever you say, right? Like he's a little concerned, but professionally so. And 
does what she wants. So he leaves. Jim comes back in. She says, oh, Dennis had to leave and get back to the station. I told him not to bother leaving his men. I'd be nervous with them here. I'll make up the guest the guest room for you. <laughs> and Jim uh, is not pleased to hear, A, that Dennis didn't leave anyone, and B, that Val was expecting him to stay. Well, where I sleep is something I like to decide for myself. Well, there's no reason to be upset. I'm fine, really. Mm. You do whatever you think is best. Which is the most passive-aggressive. <laughs> yes. So... Oh, my God. Up to this point, I was not reading ulterior motives in the things that she was doing. Sure. I mean, she yeah. obviously liked Jim and wanted Jim in her life and probably in a capacity that Jim wasn't comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But this moment, this thing that she does here, this is wrong. Yeah, it's, this, this is manipulative. Yeah. And so uh, this is this is the part where I'm like, all right, Jim, good on you for holding those boundaries. Yeah. So he he does end up staying. Mm -hmm. This is also a moment where I, and maybe this is another episode creeping into my memory, but I was like, is she setting herself up? Mm -hmm. Has she hired someone to take shots at her in order to get Jim to, you know, stay with her and have an excuse to keep him around? Uh, That's what I was thinking was happening (laughs) after seeing this little manipulation. Yeah, I think that that's a deliberate misdirect in this. Like, I don't think you're wrong for thinking that. Like, I think that's one of the things they're trying to imply, but not actually say that's what's happening. Right. And that is not what's happening, to be clear. But that is where my brain went. Oh, a red herring. Yes, indeed. Those are the words I was looking for. We go to Rocky's place where there's still uh, paint drops all over everything after they've been... As we know, they were repainting the living room. Jim's looking for his card case. Uh, he's in quite the mood. Rocky's like asking him why he's, uh, why he's behaving like a, like an angry bear or mm-hmm. bear with a sore tooth or something like that. And, uh, Jim very clearly saw what happened. Yeah. As soon as I was out of the room, Val sent, uh, sent Dennis away and made it so that I had to stay, you know, so I stayed with her. I think this is after there's a little bit of like, oh, you stayed at Val's in the guest room, Rocky. Yeah. And he's saying, it's not safe. She shouldn't have done that. She didn't think. And Rocky Mm -hmm. has this weird line of she doesn't have to think she's a lady. Yeah, Rocky. Mm -hmm. God damn it. We get Grandpa Rocky here where... Jim is the one who says she has a, a successful business. She she's or you know she's responsible for her own life. She's doing well. What do you mean she doesn't have to think? And Rocky's like, all I meant was she should have a man in her life. Yeah, like that's what he's trying to to communicate here. This is the first of several feet that Rocky put in his mouth. Uh, I think you were t- saying there's a series of gut punches. Uh, here's yeah. <laughs> here's one. Man, she really loved you. Who, who, who do you know that ever loved some other person more than their own life, huh? Oh. That's a rough thing to throw oh. onto someone. He's not saying that Jim's responsible, but mm-hmm. it wasn't until after they broke up that she took all those pills... Yeah. Uh, and then she married that Dr. Pointer who turned out to be to be bad. Uh, I guess he drank or something. Almost yeah. killed her in a car accident where he did die. Rocky keeps repeating that like, and none of that was your fault. But, and Jim finally snaps with like, but everything would have been different if I had just married her. Right. 
And he's like, no, it's not your yeah. fault. And he's like, Jim has told me it's not my fault a thousand times. And that's how she's kept me on a string for 20 years. Yeah. One of the, the trajectories going on here with Val from the audience's point of view, we get Val in the very beginning. We know nothing about her except somebody's trying to kill her. And then we have the Rocky and Jim. You can easily imagine a parent harping you about an ex that you're just like, it didn't work out. I don't know what to tell you. I know you like them. Right. Yeah. It's like, I know you like them, but you weren't the one who had to decide whether to marry them or not. Right. Exactly. Um, then we find out uh, at the dinner that there was a suicide attempt. And now I feel like this is the part like where we're starting to learn that there is so much tragedy in her life. Yeah. Because the other thing that we're getting is that she's a successful business owner who has it together. And um, so it, I guess from an audience point of view, uh, in the beginning, it's like, I don't know who would want to kill you uh, to, wow, there's so much drama in her yeah, life. There's like, a there's, lot going on. There's a lot that we're just not scratching here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I feel like in some ways we're shifting from Rocky's point of view to Jim's point of view mm, of mm-hmm. what's going on. Uh, that's an overgeneralization, but it's uh, an interesting way in which all these things keep getting revealed to mm. us. Jim ends the scene by saying, Well, just as a parting gesture, I'd like to find out who it is that's trying to kill Val. So I don't have to feel guilty for another 20 years. I'm getting out. Yeah. Like, this is it. I'm, Yeah. He goes back to her her business interiors by Pointer mm-hmm. to, to confront Val and shake something loose. He wants her to be honest with him. He knows that she hasn't told him something. My, my notes here are a little mixed up because there's a lot of the, the, the flow of this conversation is, is kind of circular. Mm-hmm. But um, Jim raises the point of like you said your life is like a soap opera tell me about that big argument that was happening when I came in the other day and stuff like that. Yeah. And he also asks about uh, Eric, her assistant, who is also her ex-son-in-law. So this is like, so he brings this up, I think, in order to illustrate a principle. Mm -hmm. Why do you have your ex-son-in-law as your assistant? And there's this whole drama where he was married to her daughter, Nancy, and then they had this acrimonious divorce and there were suits and countersuits And he ended up with the kids and then Nancy took the kids and moved out of state. So he has no recourse. And so she's doing him a favor by keeping him with her because she knows how much it hurts him to not be able to see his kids. Like, it's this whole thing, right? And then Jim's like, I know that that is the drama that it's in your life. You're all about these dramas. Mm -hmm. Tell him, you know, what about that big argument yesterday? That didn't seem like a normal a normal client interaction. And so she talks about like, oh, Joe, don't worry about him. That guy, Joe Zakarian, he married Cynthia, who's very wealthy. So he married into money recently, a couple months ago. And now all of his dreams have come true. He used to hustle for quarters. And now he you know, lives in this beautiful house in Bel Air. Um, Jim just asks her straight out, did you have an affair with Joe? And apparently she did. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> yes. okay. So, uh, did you threaten to go to his wife about it? And she's right. like, no, I would never do that. And he knows I would never do that. And Jim's like, well, that ex- that would explain that whole that whole argument. Because if he comes in here and threatens you with a lawsuit and then you go to his wife, he can say that you're just trying to get revenge for breaking mm-hmm. the contract. When triangles break up, this kind of thing happens. Yes. If I ever write 
Jim Rockford's elements. <laughs> this will be one of the fundamental axioms. When triangles break, these things get said. Yeah. That's it. Like, we'll start with there and we can prove the rest after it. Right. Um, that's motive. If Val was killed, yeah. she wouldn't be able to make these accusations and Joe would be safe in his in his money in his new marriage. And so if Jim can place Joe outside her house last night, they got the motivation and they got the man. Uh I don't know if that all hung together as a series of sentences, because as I said, the dialogue here, again, it is well written in terms of it conveys all this information and it makes sense when those two people are talking to each other. Uh, but it is kind of circular and going back on itself a couple times yeah. in order to make these points about how Val presents this front of everything's fine, nothing's going on. But once you dig even the even the slightest into stuff under the surface... They're the soap opera dramas. I felt a little bit like this is also, all right, we need to we need to get moving with a story here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the dam is broke now, right? Mm-hmm. Like that line that he has where she's like, honestly, we've been through all this. And he says, we've been through it, but not honestly. Mm-hmm. From that point on, it's like, okay, here's all the stuff that we've been hiding. Like stuff she's been hiding from us, but also like this is her that – Jim knows we right. haven't gotten that yet, and uh, it's a little bit of a of a time constraint dump, <laughs> if you will, but it gets us going forward, and it's not unusual for the the genre, right? Like, sure, to yeah. kind of have this breaking point where it's like, all right, you want me to do something, but you're not giving me the tools I need to do it. <laughs> so our next scene uh, is one of our great minor characters. Jim goes oh, to yes. the, goes to to talk to Cynthia, this uh, rich woman that Joe Zakarian has married. Uh, our establishment shot is a suitcase being thrown down a flight of stairs, uh, and then we see uh, a Cynthia in a in a uh, very nice dress with like a pearls, um, kicking the suitcase so that it'll keep yes. you know going down the stairs because it's heavy. And the the door the doorbell rings as she's doing that, so she goes to open it. It's Jim, and he he gives a false name. He's that he's, that he's from Pointer Interiors. Yeah, um, but he says, uh, you know, I'd like to talk to you for a minute. She's willing to talk if he's uh, if he can help her carry some bags because ordinarily I don't lift anything heavier than a coke spoon. I got obsessed with how much this house looked like the Brady Bunch house on the inside. Mm. It is not. It is uh, actually different. I had uh, a misunderstanding of how the stairs are arranged in the Brady Bunch house, but I kept thinking, are we in the Brady Bunch house? What's going on here? This scene, unless my DVD was synced up weird, which is possible, I think this scene had like a weird ADR thing going on. That might have been the case, yeah. Her dialogue was pretty heavily ADR'd. Yeah. It was fine. It doesn't matter. I just, I just noticed. Anyway, he's as he helps her lug these uh, heavy suitcases downstairs, he say he's from the interiors. And as she knows, they have a large outstanding bill for all the things that they bought. And he just wants to know when they can expect payment. He had a meeting with her husband to talk about it last night at 8 p.m., but he was stood up. Uh, so... This is also digging for, you know, where was your husband last night? Right. Yeah. He asked when they can expect payment and she says, <laughs> whistle for it. <laughs> That's great. I love that. And so when he says, where was your husband? You know, where, why, why couldn't your husband meet me? She says, well, you ask Valerie Pointer. Mm-hmm. Like, oh boy. Uh, they had a party last night, uh, to celebrate their perfect marriage. 
and he spent a bunch of time on the phone and then disappeared. She followed him to see where he went, and he was across the street from Valerie's apartment waiting for her to come home. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Zakarian menacingly shows up in the background while she's saying this, so we mm-hmm. see that he overhears it. Uh, he tells her to go to her room, uh, which incites another furious exchange of words, but she ends up storming out. Jim tells Zakarian that it's only attempted murder now. Yeah. Why? Well, it's not too late. Good old Joe takes a swing. Jim ducks out of the way. Uh, Joe trips and falls down the stairs. Yeah. And we have a shot of him crumpled on the landing. And then good old Officer Billings telling us that he has a uh, he has a concussion. Um, I do want to point out that with stairs like those, I mean, that's like Chekhov's gun. Right? <laughs> like somebody's got to go down those stairs. They're the open plan stairs where there's yeah. no back between them. And also there's only a railing on one side. Yeah. And w- when we see him, she's kicking luggage down. The- like, it's yeah. just... I'm just happy it wasn't Jim. I know. So Zakarian's unconscious. He has a concussion. Uh, so he hasn't said anything yet. But as Jim tells Dennis, uh, his wife puts him in front of Valerie's house at mm. 930, which was half an hour before the shooting. And so we have this motive to cover up the affair. And uh, uh, Dennis is telling Val that, okay, your things should be okay now. You are going to have to deal with the publicity and there is going to be a trial, so you have to prepare for that. But we we got the guy. Val and Jim uh, head out of the hospital. Jim wants to know how how did he end up hiring her company. She's like, well, we were friends. And so when I heard that they were buying a house in Bel Air, uh, I told him to think of me. Jim wants to know if she thinks that he took that as an ultimatum. And she's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand my relationship with Joe at all. Yes. He was just doing little favors. He would just do favors for me. <laughs> Like if I was having trouble with my car, he would come over and take a look. You would you would ask for little favors, and a man married to a famously yes. jealous uh, woman would drop everything and come over to your house just to do them. Doesn't that sound a little more like guilt than friendship? Oh no, Jim, you don't understand the kind of relationship we had. Oh, I think I do. I think we do. I think we do too. <laughs> it's not sound healthy. Everything's fine though, right? We got the guy. Jim's back at his trailer, and then before he can get even, even get inside, uh, someone starts taking pot shots at him with a rifle, and he has to dive out of the way. And it's our original assailant, not wearing a mask, in his Peugeot. Uh, once he sees that he wasn't able to hit Jim, he, dr- he jumps in and drives away. Rocky comes out. Uh, Jim tells Rocky to call Dennis. He's going to go get a line on the lady in the Porsche. That's the last lead he has. And then Rocky has a great little soliloquy oh. here. Uh, some life you live. Coming home, getting shot at, getting in your car and tearing off some life, I'd say. <laughs> the gym is like, call Dennis. Here's his busy work. Yeah. Now I'm going to go solve the case. <laughs> like, not not with that air. Like, not... Not like a, a modern day adaptation of Sherlock. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot to be done here. Dennis has the authority to do that. I'm just going to follow up this other lead. Yeah. To follow up on the sports car, we have Jim go to the factory As... sports car club. He gets in good with the guy putting up the uh, derby poster. <laughs> he has a quick throwaway of like, oh, that's a loner car pointing at the Firebird. My right. whatever, whatever, whatever is in the shop. Because um, there's all these, there, there's these very fancy stock cars that this uh, mechanic is you know dealing with that hurt <laughs> there is a paper in there if anybody 
pursuing a doctorate uh, listening to us wants to, I highly recommend writing a paper comparing uh, Peter's denial of Jesus to <laughs> Jim Rockford's denial of the firebird. Denial of the firebird. Oh, man. Oof is what I have to say about that. But this is a good con. I'm enjoying, I enjoy watching this con. Yeah, unfold. this is the good, the good con of the episode. So it's a, it's a double layer con. There's a first level. And then when that doesn't work, he escalates yes. to the second level. So the first is, you know, he was at this other mechanic and uh, he saw this lady and he describes the Porsche in technical detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wouldn't happen to know who I'm talking about, right? I just wanted to try and uh, try and talk to her about something, something and no lie. She's a stone Fox and I'd like yes. to talk to her. But the guy's like, well, our membership record is confidential. Yeah. Okay, well, to tell you the truth, it's not just that I wanted to talk to her. Here's something that I saw. And he talks about how this mechanic at the other auto club did something under her hood and then didn't fasten it all down correctly. And so the guy's like, well, then that could go at any moment. And he's like, yeah, it could send, yeah. The, send the pistons shooting up right through her seat. So I want to make sure that she knows about it because the guy who owns it, he'll never admit a mistake. And she could be driving around on a time bomb right now. So he gets the pressure in, he gets the like, uh, you're better than this other mechanic, so I'm appealing yeah. to you because you're a professional and you'll do the right thing. Good on this guy for initially resisting when it be- when it felt like Jim was a creeper coming on, right? right. Like, like, like oh, oh, that angle, let's switch to her, her life is in danger angle, or her car is in danger. So he doesn't even have to look at the membership. Uh, roster yeah. based on the car description he knows that that's it sounds like sandy ludmer to him and he gives jim the address mm-hmm. so we cut to a personal par- parking spot in a parking garage with her name spray painted on it and we see the fancy car pull up the woman that we had met as Jean, who is in fact sandy gets out of the car jim is creepily waiting behind a support pillar <laughs> and uh, surprises her he says that, again, it's not too late. Um, right now, you're an accessory only to attempted murder. You right. don't want to be an accessory to murder. Some guy's taking shots at me. I need to know why you were why you tried to hire me away from the Val you know, case. She looks like she's panicked. And she says, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. It was not that way at all. She's an actress. She didn't even get paid for this gig. It was a favor. And I was like, oh, boy. But, um, <laughs> but uh, the person she's doing this for said that Jim was working for his ex-wife and causing trouble, and he just wanted Jim to be out of the way so he could, you know, resolve things or whatever. Yeah. It's like, okay, so who did you do this favor for? Uh, and she says it was for, for Eric Gethner, who is Eric, the son-in-law, ex-son-in-law yeah. of Val. And then Jim looks furious, storms off for the Firebird, and she just keeps calling after him, keep me out of this. My, I just got this new gig, and yeah. my career's just taking off, and I can't afford to be in the papers. Like, keep me out of this. She's got this, yeah, this great line that's like, I'm not an accessory. I'm just starting to get feature parts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he peels out, and she goes to a payphone, makes a phone call to uh, Brian. My face blindness kicked in here. I was like, who is Brian? Uh, so this is the guy who originally shot at Val, right? Yes. I did not recognize him, so I was like, who's this new character? But it became clear after a little while. Um, I was kind of confused by this whole thing, to be perfectly honest. So she calls Brian to say, oh no, someone is on to us, I guess. Yes. Uh, and I was so scared, I told him about Eric. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now he knows about Eric. She mentioned something like, and you know I'm only doing this for the money. Yeah. Uh, I told him about Eric and that he's trying to kill his mother-in-law, but I didn't mention you. 
maybe Eric won't say anything. And then Brian says, like, well, he won't say anything about me once I have a chance to shut him up. Mm -hmm. That is the end of the call. I felt like this was a scene from a different episode. (laughs) This is my guess. This is is me reading too much into all of this. Okay. My guess is this. You could do this entire episode without Brian. Yes. Have Eric do his own dirty work, wear a mask when he first tries to shoot Val, which, just to be clear, he did not. He hired someone to do that. But if you do that, you write Brian out, and Brian is there at the very beginning and now at the very end, and he exists for one purpose only. Right. And we're going to find that out in just a moment. So the question is... How do you write him in? And I think that's why we end up with this weird, awkward, we need to show the audience that there's this other guy because we need to put this other guy into this situation. And I understand that. I guess I don't understand, like, did she, so did she lie to Jim when she said that she did it as a favor? Because she says, Brian, tells Brian that she's only doing it for the money. Yeah. And she drives a Porsche. So, like. Is that not her car? But she has a parking space. So like, what is, is she that rich? Lie? Yeah. That's fine if she's a, she lied to, to Jim in order to conceal what's actually going on. But she yeah. still told him the truth about Eric. It's a convolution here that I was more confused by than, than added to interest yeah. in what's going on. And in the end, doesn't matter. Like that conversation yeah. could have just been like, yeah, I told him about Eric. I don't know what to do. But there's all those other lines in there. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why. It's okay. Uh, We move on from here. Yes. Jim goes back to the Yacht Club to talk to Eric, as Eric is also a member, of course. He tells Eric that uh, whoever you hired made a try for me earlier today. And then Eric freaks out and throws his bag down. He's like, I tried (laughs) to call him off. But after Val saw him on the beach, he was determined to kill her because she Mm -hmm. saw him. And now... Because Jim's been asking questions, he wants to kill Jim. Yes. Jim says, what questions? Because <laughs> Jim really hasn't been doing much, right? It was Eric's key card that got Brian onto the lot. So yeah. that would be the line of questioning that would bring yeah. him into it. Uh, Brian runs a flight school. So we're getting up to our big finale. <laughs> Just a random fact we're going to throw in there. Right. He and Sandy both take private lessons, which is how they all got connected together. Yeah. His, his, his plan here. So Val... She ruined Nancy. She ruined his marriage. She's the reason that uh, he can't see his kids. Mm -hmm. So I guess his plan was somehow if Val was killed, that would get Nancy back into the state and then he could get his kids back. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it falls down. (laughs) But then he says he didn't want to kill her. He just wanted to scare her, Mm -hmm. which is not consistent with Brian. Yeah. But now he's apparently this has all gone horribly wrong and he's willing to go with Jim downtown to talk to Becker. Great. Uh, Eric is played by Ted Shackelford, who has a leading man face and has been in lots of soap operas. But in his credits, he has a show from 1994, 1995, where he has a, t- uh, a leading role in this show called Space Precinct. The name's Brogan, Lieutenant Brogan. 20 years I was with the NYPD. Now? Well, let's just say I've transferred to another precinct. Which I now want to watch just for that title. Yes! Oh my god, he grew up. (laughs) Brogan and his partner Jack Haldane must adjust to living in another solar system and investigating crimes being committed by aliens as well as humans. I have seen episodes of this. Of course you have. 
so the creator is Jerry Anderson, who's also the, I think, the creator of Space 1999. Um, and I think I might have seen that because of Space 1999, because it sounds so familiar. And like looking at the picture of it, I'm like, there's a 2013 yeah. documentary called Space Precinct Legacy. And the tagline is the story of the most ambitious British television series ever made. Wow. All right. All right. Good to know. Note that for later. Stretch goal. Anyway, Jim and Eric are in the Firebird, and then we see a mysterious helicopter start following them from the air. Jim uh, uh, notices, and then Eric sees it, and it's like, it's Brian. <laughs> He's crazy. Like, what's he trying to do? Kill us? Uh <laughs> I believe that's also in the uh, preview montage. And then we have the exciting helicopter chase scene. Okay, so first of all, technically accomplished. I'm trying to think. I've got some things written down here. <laughs> My first thing is, oh, flight school. <laughs> like, when they first mentioned it, I was like, here's the copter. Right, I know there's a helicopter coming. I saw the preview montage. Yes. By season five, I feel like they've earned a copter chase. Oh, sure. I feel like they've earned it. I'm not saying that the show needs a copter chase, <laughs> but... At some point, you could just say, you, "Here, here it is. You, you, you can have a few more calories in this meal. You've been good." <laughs> sure. So, a thing about a copter chase is that there's a few things they do with the car, but it's not as tricky as the car chases are, right? Like, and by right. tricky, I mean like technically it is tricky to do it, but I mean like there's not a lot of like tactical moves that yeah. you can make in the car, and they're out on an airfield, so like a lot of it is just clear open sky like that's the whole point to having an airfield where you have an airfield there's right. like it's flat ground or whatever um so there's some fast driving there's some interesting moments where they clearly don't want to actually have the copter come down and hit the roof of the car so they have the copter in one shot and then you have the interior of the car and the sound of the copter yeah. hitting the roof and then describing that that is what's happening and it's fine that's great that sticks in my head there's there's a point midway where eric turns to jim and says you're pretty good at this yes i wrote that one down too and i'm just like yeah no <laughs> also kudos to brian because he's pretty good at this apparently they have him flying into hangars and through like i've never flown a helicopter I cannot imagine most of these things are easy to do with a helicopter. Like the probably the stunt work done here, mm -hmm. uh, it looked good, and I think probably was done quite well. Uh, I wrote down that's a hell of a pilot, and then I wrote <laughs> down holy <laughs> explosion. I know, right? And I did not expect this ending. I don't know why I didn't expect this. I, I expected. I don't know what I was expecting. Uh, maybe for Jim to drive into someplace and come out a way that the helicopter wasn't expecting and right. or you know, the helicopter to like get like caught in a tree or something. Or something, yeah. But he drives into a hangar. The helicopter this is the second hangar they've done this in. Right. Well they established that the helicopter is willing to follow him in the hangar by going through the first one. Yes. And then they go into the second one and the helicopter comes in and then you see them come out where the doors are just wide enough open for the firebird to get through. And then there's this explosion behind him. And I was actually stunned by it. I don't want to say I'm jaded, but like the year is 2019. I How many Fast and Furiouses have we right. seen? <laughs> like he didn't have the rock hanging out of right. his car window, holding on to the helicopter with a chain. And still, I enjoyed this. My response was more like, wait, so is Brian dead? Right. <laughs> Did they just kill Brian? That seems 
unlike the Rockford Files. <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, even to the point where there's a few moments after the explosion where I'm like, so how does he survive that? Mm-hmm. There's no trick here. He's dead. They killed Brian. There's an explosion. Brian's gone. The end. Yeah. Um. So we cut from the explosion to Val thanking Rocky for the chili he brought by. She can't wait to try it. She's still just so overwhelmed and can't understand why two people wanted to kill her. Jim explains that uh, Eric thought he'd get his kids back somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that for the first attempt, Joe Sicarian saw an opportunity to keep her quiet about this affair. And so he took it. Uh, but thankfully, they're both incompetent and neither of them, yeah. you know, achieved their goal. And Rocky says that, well, it's all over now. And that's what counts. Val thanks Jim. Uh, get, they get another kiss here. And then she says, you know, uh, she's been having trouble with her car, like the <laughs> starter or something. Maybe he should come over when he has some time and take a look. Um, and Jim gets this great look on his face uh, as she walks away with the uh, the big, like, serving bowl full of chili. Like It's not like a, a container. It's like a big stainless steel, like catering bowl with saran wrap over the top the way she was carrying that i don't know this is adult epi going god damn it you're gonna ruin your clothes you're gonna <laughs> spill that chili all right sorry, well she has on. to go because it's so crazy now that she's running you know she she doesn't have the assistant so everything's yeah. crazy with the clients and whatnot um so as she leaves <clears throat> rocky says that you know seeing her again after all this time uh she's had a really rough life uh you know she's been through so much and he starts to think in how he never visits and he yeah. never gives her a call around Christmas time. Well, what I mean is that seeing her again just made me feel kind of guilty. And <laughs> we end our episode with the two of them sharing a look. Where I think yeah. the look on Rocky's face is that he finally gets what Jim is trying to say. Yeah. Like, yeah. In that last moment of the episode. And that is guilt. Some life. Some life. Some life. <sighs> All right. So, uh, yeah. So, I, I like... Uh, it's a little late now. We've gone through it. We've all seen it. <laughs> We've all seen it. It's not a Rockford Files that I'd be like, hey, you want to just have a fun Rockford Files time? Here's one that ends in a helicopter chase. <laughs> like, <laughs> instead, I would be like, oh, here's one of the ones that kind of gets a little dark. I'm trying to put my finger on what leaves me feeling very unsatisfied about this episode. Right. Um, I do think the, the, the end is very abrupt. Yeah. I mean, so kind of like mystery story wise, the, the pacing on this one's real weird to me. It's, it's kind of slow burn, slow burn, slow burn, red herring. Yeah. Resolution, resolution. That works as a story, but it doesn't, it wasn't that interesting to me, I guess. The motivation was a little unclear. Yeah. Um, kind of from all parties. Yeah. I, I'm going to go with the theory that this is two episodes jammed together. It feels like that to it's me. The, like an ep- episode of visuals that they didn't have a story to hang on. Mm-hmm. Moments and action scenes and things like that. And then they had this this more serious story about mm-hmm. Jim's uh, personal history. And uh, they kind of slapped them on top of each other. Mm-hmm. It's functional. You can make that work, but it's like the joints aren't perfect. Yeah. Um, and then I think there's a something about the emotional arc of the episode doesn't have any catharsis to yeah. it. Nobody seems to learn anything. Yeah. I don't get the sense that Jim has achieved any resolution with his feelings of guilt. And I don't feel like she's learned anything about herself. Yeah, the closest we've got is that Rocky might have learned something about her. Right. <laughs> Feels not very satisfying when 
so many of these episodes do, even when they have a lot of plot going on, also manage to give us an emotional yeah. arc that goes somewhere. So, uh, I don't know. I'm being kind of a neg- neg- negative Nathan today. <laughs> I had a visceral response to the uh, toxic relationship that was laid out in front of us. Yeah. And then was not brought back into it by the other elements of the show that in another episode might have been just fun. And in this one, we're kind of like, yeah, okay, that stuff happened. <laughs> but you liked it more, it sounds like. Uh, yeah, I liked it. I think we're both informing it with our own personal history. Oh, and, absolutely. And it split two different ways there. Like, I was like, yeah, drag me. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you were ready to wallow in that yeah. particular pool. Yeah. And I was like, nope, don't want to get in the water. Well, okay. Let's be artistic about this. Yeah. Uh, we talked about that meal he had with her, right? Like mm-hmm. the ribs and the cottage fries that he was looking forward to. And then he clearly wasn't going to enjoy the meal because of what happened, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that is this metaphor for the whole episode. <laughs> uh, because so much of our enjoyment of things is not the thing itself, but uh, everything around it mm-hmm. when it happened. And uh, like I could definitely see this episode going the other way for me. And I'm just coming out of it going, oof. <laughs> there are uh, gaps, right? Like we, we talk about them. the, the uh, moments where afterwards you think about it when you're doing your podcast <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, why is he trying to kill her? I mean, it makes sense if you think that everyone is, is not very smart. And everyone's not very smart and thinks that killing someone is a solution. Yeah. Because uh, there's plenty of not smart people out there who don't then hire a contract killer Yeah. Uh, with all of their flight school money. Well, so your point about uh, uh, our enjoyment of a thing is not just the thing. It is all the things we bring to the thing. Right. Right. Yeah. I think anyone who spends any time critically thinking about what they enjoy, that is something that you end up having to consider. It is valid to have responses to something based entirely on your relationship with it right. that aren't like, quote, objective, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think either of us, and if anyone if anyone listening is like, but you've been trying to be objective this whole time, yeah. and we have been doing a bad job of explaining <laughs> how we approach the show. Because <laughs> it's not about objectively analyzing. It's kind of like coming to this thing many, many years later as the people we are. Here's all things I like about it. And then sometimes it does stuff I don't like. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that the it's a failure of an episode or a show. Like, if anything is in, in the episode is has quote-unquote failed, I think it's character motivation and kind of syncing up why these attempted murders were happening in the first place mm-hmm. and giving us a little more to go on than, like, I have a psycho flying school instructor that I can just <laughs> hire to try and kill my 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 ex mother in law, and then who won't give up no matter what. Seems a little weak to me structurally. Mm-hmm. I don't think the character of Val is. I think that's a great character, and I yeah. think her dialogue's good. I think the way that her relationship with Jim is portrayed on screen is very or very deftly handled to not make her a pure villain and not make her a stereotype. But my encounter with that character is is my encounter with a character that i do not want to empathize with and then that kind of brings down my enjoyment of the things that are good in the episode like all the family stuff with rocky and seeing lj and you know that kind of stuff to be perfectly clear about where i'm trying to parse <laughs> my reaction here i had just finished watching a series of lectures about 
the mathematical concept of chaos. Mm -hmm. These are systems where small changes lead to drastically different outcomes. Sure. The classical example is a uh, pendulum, where if you take two pendulums and you let them go, they tend to behave the same way. But if you put on these two pendulums a second arm uh, and then let them go from as close to the same starting positions as you can, they will soon become v- follow very different patterns. Right? Mm-hmm. In a very broad way, that's what uh, the mathematical concept of chaos is about. Anyways, the point is, I think that there's certain bits of fiction, uh, certain Rockford Files episodes that are like the pendulum where <laughs> it doesn't really matter. You just kind of get into it and you can kind of get the groove and you get out of it and everyone's kind of in the same spot. And then there are episodes where small differences in where you come in have uh, larger uh, things coming out. <laughs> I think it is a, a metaphor that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you know more about it than I do, so you are the source of authority on this matter. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I think that, uh, as, as we saw, poor Jim did not, uh, end up making any money on this no. adventure, uh, turning down the 500. So, like, where did that $500 come from? Okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Uh, our, our good friend Jim Rockford did not make any money on his, uh, endeavors here. Um, I feel like we've earned our $200 for this day. What do you think, Epi? I would agree. $200 and a bowl full of, butterscotch chili yeah as always thank you for listening and hanging with us through uh maybe not the all of the highlights of the show but (laughs) even even here there's some good stuff so if you like helicopter explosions this is the episode for you (laughs) with all that in our in our past uh we'll look to the future and be back next time to talk about another episode of the rockford files (laughs) 